You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The tragic murder of Mike Hickman is illustrative of a problem plaguing black neighborhoods that we've been groomed to ignore. It's racist to discuss the self-hatred that provokes black men to cavalierly settle disagreements with gun violence. According to approved media wisdom, the random senseless murder of black men by other black men within black communities is a proximity crime that can only be solved by money, integration, and the passionate affection of white people. Mike Hickman would be alive today if white police officers properly loved black people. So would Hickman's sister, Jennifer. She was murdered a year ago, another victim of black-on-black -black violence in desperate need of white love. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Monday uh, to you and yours. Uh, we made it through the weekend. It's good to be back. We're here for the long haul this week. Uh, and we have a fantastic lineup of shows for you this week, and we're going to get it started today with an awesome show uh, that will feature two fearless soldiers, Dave Shannon and Steve Kim. And my take on an issue I just previewed uh, in the cold open uh, that I hope I get through uh, today without getting emotional, without going on forever. Uh, but this uh, issue is near and dear to my heart. Uh, so let's start a fire and then go from there. Uh, corporate media <clears throat> has made it taboo to discuss the cultural rot at the root of black men randomly killing each other. So you're unlikely to see a Say His Name campaign focused on Mike Hickman. Hickman is unworthy of the kind of deification corporate and social media reserved for heroic black men harmed while resisting arrest. Hickman is no George Floyd, Michael Brown, Dante Wright, Rayshard Brooks, Jacob Blake, or Eric Garner. Hickman was a father, husband, active local church member, a former running back of the University of North Texas, and a Little League football coach. Saturday night in Lancaster, Texas, an opposing coach gunned down 43-year-old Mike Hickman in front of 80 peewee football players. Following a scrimmage between players nine years and under, the adult coaches engaged in an on-field brawl sparked when someone kicked the ball Hickman attempted to pick up from the ground. According to police, Jakob Talib, the brother of a former NFL star, ended the melee, shooting Hickman dead. Hickman's nine-year-old son was, one, was on the field at the time. So was Aqib Talib, the former five-time Pro Bowl 
pro bowler, Super Bowl champion, NFL broadcaster, and brother of the alleged shooter. The tragedy that befell Mike Hickman is illustrative of a problem plaguing black neighborhoods that we've been groomed to ignore. It's racist to discuss the self-hatred that provokes black men to cavalierly settle disagreements with gun violence. According to approved media wisdom, the random senseless murder of black men by other black men within black communities is a proximity crime that can only be solved by money, integration, and the passionate affection of white people. Mike Hickman would be alive today if white police officers properly loved black people. So would Hickman's sister, Jennifer. Last July, Jeffrey Allen Scott confessed to murdering Jennifer Hickman, a 37-year-old middle school teacher, volleyball coach, and mother of one daughter. Jennifer played basketball at Texas Southern University. She earned a master's degree in education from Concordia University, Texas. So let's do the math here. Within a 13-month span, in separate incidents, a brother and sister who used athletics to earn college degrees and dedicated themselves to helping young people were murdered by a black man. A brother and a sister murdered within 13 months of each other in separate incidents. But we won't shout their names. They're victims of proximity homicides. Those murders don't matter. There are no white people to directly blame. Lancaster is a working class suburb approximately 15 minutes south of Oak Cliff, Dallas, that's the area where Mike and Jennifer Hickman grew up. 65% of Lancaster's 41,000 residents are black. 23% are Hispanic. The city has produced a handful of journeyman NFL players. Its most famous native is perhaps former Duke basketball player Thomas Hill, who was a shooting guard for the Blue Devils during the Christian Leitner Grant Hill era. Akib and Akib Talib raised by their single mother, grew up in Richardson, Texas. Richardson, Texas, a northern suburb of Dallas. 25 miles separate Richardson from Lancaster. Tlaib and Hickman fit the corporate media's proximity profile. So what's the solution? Should black people distance themselves from each other? Given that Akib earned more than $70 million during his 12-year NFL career, it's hard to blame poverty for Yaqib shooting Hickman. Maybe poverty and proximity don't explain the astronomical murder rate impacting the life expectancy of black men. Maybe it's a culture of self-hate and disrespect. Maybe the pursuit of white love doesn't cure black self-hate. Maybe the matriarchal culture adopted by American black people foments emotional men with no impulse control. It's just a random thought. Popular culture has certainly normalized the denigration and destruction of black men. It's so normalized that American media companies seem to prefer black broadcasters with street credibility. At this time, we don't know Akib's role in, Michael, in the Mike Hickman tragedy. We know that Akib was there. Based on Akib's history, it's hard to imagine a fight breaking out and Akib choosing to sit it out. Let, let, let's, let's go through this. In 2008, 
he engaged in a brawl at the NFL Rookie Symposium. In 2009, he was arrested after an altercation with a taxi driver. In 2011, Akib and his mother were suspected of firing a gun at his sister's boyfriend. In 2017, Akib and Raiders receiver Michael Crabtree had an ugly on-field skirmish. Akib snatched a gold chain from Crabtree's neck. Shortly after his 2020 retirement, Fox Sports hired Akib to leave to broadcast NFL games. Within the last few months, Amazon named Akib part of their team to broadcast Thursday night football. Corporate media love black men with street credibility. It's all part of promoting a culture of violence and disrespect among black people who live in pro close proximity to each other. That's why gangster rappers such as Jay-Z, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, and Ice-T are presented as spokesmen for the black community, and Ben Carson, Thomas Sowell, and Clarence Thomas are framed as sellouts. You can discern the agenda of corporate and social media by the names black people are told to shout, the victims were told to idolize, and the men deemed worthy of an outpouring of emotion. Mike Hickman, a college graduate, a father, a husband, an active member of his church, a volunteer football coach, meets all the criteria to be regarded as a pillar of his community but he's no George Floyd. That speaks to a deadly cultural rot. That's my fire. Not quite done yet, because I want to play the actual video of the scene of, of what happened to Mike Hickman. Uh, we, we've seen fights uh, at kids, peewee, AAU, summer, games and activities. We've seen parents out of control uh, before. We knew that something like this was just around the corner. Uh, and we've seen this from all parents, not just black parents, but we've certainly seen it from black parents. This, this scene doesn't look unfamiliar until the gunshots go off and Mike Hickman is killed in front of his nine-year-old son and a bunch of other now traumatized kids. Let's play the video.
Wow. This one. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, this is a tragic, tragic scene. It's, 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 it speaks to why I've been so consistently outraged about what are we leaving our kids? What type of society are we leaving our kids? I grew up playing peewee football. I grew up going to peewee football games before I was even allowed to play. I grew up going, my brother who didn't really care for sports and athletics, he was older than me, he played on a football team. I look forward to practice more than he did. I look forward to the games more than he did. Sure, coaches may have argued uh, and, and got a little heated, but what's become commonplace now, fights and brawls at these events, and now gunplay, and, and some of this is just a, a byproduct of where we've gone as a society in terms of there's so much money on the line. So again, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, professional athletes made nice livings, enjoyed a level of celebrity, but they made nice livings. Many professional athletes when I was a kid actually had second jobs, had jobs during their off season. They, there wasn't generational wealth on the line. And so now that professional athletes, uh, professional sports are now swimming in money and the TV networks have come and taken them over and everybody's a movie star and everybody's in a fight to get generational wealth, 50 million a year, 10 million a year, 5 million a year, that has trickled down to the little league level where parents are now. Everybody wants to be LeVar Ball and raise two NBA players. Everybody wants to be the Watt family and have three brothers uh, in the NFL. And so that process of seeing your child as a lottery ticket begins at the nine and under level, begins at flag football games. This is why the parents are taking things so seriously. This is why emotions are running so high when you have created a culture where everybody, athletic talent and the deve development of athletic talent is seen as a lottery ticket, not just for the individual, but for the entire family. You set off a desperation, you set off Lords of the Flies at a peewee football game, a scrimmage. Not a game, a scrimmage. To quote Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice. You're arguing with the referees about a practice game. Emotions run so high that you, you, you resort to violence after a practice. The fisticuffs, the fights, the whole thing at a practice. This is ridiculous, but it's not uncommon in this culture that we have created. It's, it, it's, it's not uncommon in this culture that we have created that People are losing it. And so I don't want to 
I, I'm just providing further context around this. I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm just trying to, we have, again, turned our kids uh, into lottery tickets to some degree. To so, obviously, the violence and the uh, brawl and all that stuff, clearly inappropriate. But to some degree, I understand why parents are spending so much energy and time trying to develop their kids as athletes. Let's take the professional lottery ticket out of it. Let's just take the expense to college with these astronomical uh, college fees to go to college. Just if you can get your kid a scholarship, how much money that saves you and what an advantage that is for that child. And so we have added a ton of pressure to the entire athletic experience to kids. And it starts at six, seven, eight years old. Are they getting the proper training? Or are they on in line? Are they making the proper moves, making the proper progress to get a scholarship, to be a candidate for a scholarship, to potentially be a professional player? We can look at this group of people and, and, and we can certainly wag a finger at them and say, this is ridiculous. But this is what this system has produced all of the money that has been dumped into sports. And again, just, just think about the name, image, and likeness deals that college athletes are getting. Some of them making high six figures, some of them making as much as seven figures while in college. All of this has a consequence. All of this adds to the pressure and the desperation that you saw pour out in this instance, none of what I'm saying is excusing the alleged shooter, Yaqib Tlaib. Uh, what he did is reprehensible and needs to be addressed, and, and, but won't be addressed because Mike Hickman doesn't fit the profile. He's not, a, he's not an ex-criminal harmed by a white person and so we'll never discuss all the issues that have contributed to this tragedy that has taken his life. And a year ago, his sister murdered. No, th this, I, I, I had our team look and we're like, is this being discussed on ESPN? This guy, Mike Hickman, is a former North Texas uh, football player. Played there for five years. Played a lot, lettered, I think four of the five years he was there. He's a, a little league football coach. His sister murdered a former Texas Southern basketball player. But you won't see anybody shouting, say his name on ESPN or virtually anywhere on social media. All the celebrities that love to come out and deify every criminal harmed while resisting arrest have virtually nothing to say. And maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. The only athlete that I've seen that said anything about Mike Hickman is Kendrick Perkins. Maybe there's others. I, I don't know. But I, I will say this. If Mike Hickman was out on parole, had been convicted of a bunch of crimes in his 20s, 
and had been shot and killed by a white man under any circumstance, and it was caught on tape, everybody would be shouting Mike Hickman's name. Everybody would melt down and act like the world had ended and we must do something to stop this type of violence. But the violence that took Mike Hickman's life, the violence that took his sister Jennifer's life, we say virtually nothing about. You can't find it on Twitter. You can't, ESPN hosted no segments about Mike Hickman as far as I could see. ESPN's, their sports center t Twitter app tweeted out today uh, something celebrating Nipsey Hussle he would have been 37 today. ESPN Sports Center tweeted out something about Nipsey Hussle, a rapper. They somehow have connected him to the sports world. They threw him in a Lakers jersey, and maybe he was a Lakers fan. But he wasn't Jack Nicholson. I didn't see Nipsey Hussle sitting courtside. No one knew who Nipsey Hussle really was outside of L.A., until after he was gunned down by a black criminal. But Nipsey Hussle was just some rapper with no connection really to the sports world. Yes, he was friends with a few professional athletes. But again, we can point to Nipsey Hussle who rapped about gang banging and uh, yeah, and you know what? He said a few things about being a businessman, being an entrepreneur and giving back to his community. I get it, but we know what Nipsey Hussle rapped about in reality most of the time to gain attention and fame and whatever bit of wealth that he had. Gang stuff. He portrayed himself as a criminal. He's worthy of deification. He's a victim we can talk about in ESPN uh, two, three years later can, oh, we gotta remember Nipsey Hussle would be 37. But a former college football player who had dedicated his life to coaching little kids, raising his sons, marrying a, a black woman, marrying a woman, period. The, the black thing is irrelevant, but I just mentioned it. This, du this dude, let's ignore him. Let's not talk about him. Let's not talk about the tragedy that befell him, befell his sisters, and befalls thousands of young black people annually, thousands, annually. Let's call that a proximity crime, but if 15 resisting criminals get killed a year by some white man or white police officer, that's an epidemic that must be stopped. Thousands of black men die annually because we can't settle disputes and disagreements without resorting to violence. Thousands. Let's ignore it, let's don't talk about it. Let's deal with the 10 or 15 incidents where a resisting criminal gets harmed by a police officer. Let's stop that. That's, that doesn't bother you? That doesn't bother anyone? that Mike Hickman, 
His name won't be celebrated. No one's going to point to him. ESPN, all the people, all the, let's take it, all the other celebrities that love screaming about George Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, Jacob Blake, Eric Garner. They'll have nothing to say about Mike Hickman. It's embarrassing. You can't fix a rotting culture by ignoring it or treating some other small, minute problem. There is, again, NFL players will put the names of criminals on the back of their helmets. Will anybody put Mike Hickman's name on the back of their helmet? NFL players, NBA players, professional athletes, in pursuit of fame, clout, reputation, brand building, hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm meeting with law enforcement to talk about how law enforcement and the community can get along better and work together uh, better. I want to hear about professional athletes, particularly black ones, who are hosting meetings in their former communities with black men and boys Go meet with the Crips and the Bloods, the Gangster Disciples and the Vice Lords. Go meet with them about improving their ability to get along with each other. Who's mediating those disagreements, those disputes? Who's promoting healing and a better uh, life and, 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 and uh, environment, atmosphere, willingness to get along? among gang members. We're not doing that. What we're doing, Steven Jackson, he's willing to go check in with, what is it, Old Block? What was that name of that place in Chicago? Old Block or whatever? Willing to go in and check in with the gang bangers there. Ain't nothing wrong with checking in with them. But is anybody there trying to get those guys to tamp down the black-on-black violence. We save that, let's go talk to the police to make sure that once a year they don't uh, accidentally kill a black resisting uh, gang uh, criminal. This stuff, it, 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 it's fundamental. This is like a man and a woman married having a problem getting along and, and someone says, hey, Let's send their kids to counseling. If their kids get along better, maybe mom and dad will get along better. Let's don't treat the actual problem. Look, the kids may be part of mom and dad's problem. Might be part of it. But sending them off to counseling, the kids, and not mom and dad, the actual people at each other's throats, People would look at this and call it lunacy. And people are looking at what we're doing. Every time one of these athletes raises their hand, oh, I went and met with police and had a conversation with them about how they can get along better with black people. We need counselors, fathers, teaching black boys and men how to get along with each other. How to settle disputes without turning to violence. That's what we need.
That's what Mike Hickman and this story represent an opportunity, uh, opportunity for us to discuss that problem, the problem really impacting black communities and black people and black men. It ain't Derek Chauvin, and I'm sorry. It was the fentanyl, and I'm sorry. We can sit around and play games all we want, but trust me, Derek Chauvin coming down the street, George Floyd coming down the street in Minneapolis at night, I know who all of you are, which one you're walking towards and which one you're running away from. Quit lying. Uh, before we bring in uh, Dave Shannon and Steve Kim, take care of a little business. Uh, school is right around the corner and many kids do not know where their meals will come from this semester. For every order in the month of August, Good Ranchers is donating to help those kids by providing high quality and nutritious meals. And you can join this campaign by ordering a box of 100% American meat. It makes a huge difference in the lives and minds of these kids. Good Ranchers is an award-winning food delivery service that brings 100% American meat and seafood to your door. They source the best of American farms so that you can get the highest quality food possible. A good meal goes a long way for anyone, especially a child. They need proteins, vitamins, and nutrition to help them grow. So fill your plate while you fuel their good minds with Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to join the movement today. You'll get $30 off your order, free shipping, and donate life-changing food to kids in need. Giving back never felt or lasted this long and was so good. Let's help them hit and pass their goal of 100,000 meals donated. All we have to do is change the way we buy meat. You can get better quality, better flavor, and more impact with Good Ranchers. So don't think twice. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless or use my code fearless to claim your $30 off any box of beef, chicken, or seafood. I want us our group, the Fearless Army, the Fearless Soldiers, to donate the most meals out of everyone. This is a great cause, and I think we all should get behind it. Fill plates, fuel minds, change the future one meal at a time with Good Ranchers. Find out why they're the fastest growing meat company in America. All right, you can email me and us at fearless at blaze.com, at theblaze.com. Uh, Dave Shannon, Eric's. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out uh, to Idaho and bring in Dave Shannon, a father uh, who has a teenage son that I believe was involved with uh, football and certainly can speak to a culture that is in full rot and decline to where we have normalized 
the, the kind of behavior and violence that we just seem to look the other way. And so, Dave, I, I'm wondering if you have an explanation on why someone like Mike Hickman uh, can be murdered in such a tragic way. It's caught on tape. Uh, it, it, it's senseless. It's done in front of a bunch of kids. And no one seems to care nearly a, as much about Mike Hickman, a fought belongs to a church, uh, college graduate, uh, married, a father of three, volunteers to coach little kids. No one cares about him, uh, but everyone cares about Ahmaud Arbery, uh, George Floyd, Eric Garner, and everyone else. Why is that? Yeah, um, first, Jason, I just got to say this is this is devastating. When you think about what sports are supposed to be for us in one sense or another, they're 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 great and entertaining in one way, but they're also a cultural stopgap in another. When we have the lack of fathers in the community, when we have um, social, social and cultural things breaking down, sports are kind of the thing that help us remember, oh, this is what virtue looks like. This is what sportsmanship looks like. Oh, this is what it looks like to win and what it looks like to lose. And this is how you do it with virtue and with grace and with kindness. And, and here's how you become a man. This is how you work together with the team and to see the sports now get flipped completely upside down to uh, where we have men who are supposed to be teaching other boys who don't or who might not necessarily have this kind of leadership. They're the ones in teaching them now it's OK to lose your temper and to do all the things that sports are supposed to teach you to do, to do all the things backwards and lose it and shoot somebody else. This is devastating. The reason that the tool of sports isn't working anymore is because the people are broken, the society is broken. If those are broken, they don't expect the tools to work very well because they don't know how to use the tools well. I think that the Democratic, the left, the liberal party that is after destroying America, particularly black men, I think there's a special point and place in American culture that black people have. And I think the left is trying to diminish that, destroy that. And the way that they're doing it is getting us to devalue each other getting us to devalue each other at two places particularly. First, at the point of birth at life, we have the most amount of abortions out of any other societal group. We have completely devalued each other after that in the streets and everywhere else. And when you can get a group of people convinced to kill themselves, you have completely had them accept the devaluing so that they are ineffective in whatever fight and battle they're supposed to be in America. Somehow, in some way, there are a lot of elements where black people are essential and important to the foundation of America, leading America. I think the left knows that. And they know, like Margaret Singer, if they can take us out, if they can get us to devalue ourselves and get us to commit our own genocide— then they have the free reigns to do whatever they want to with America. And you can see that all the way throughout. They've been using us as a political pool for the homosexual movement, for the um, uh, for the the national for lack of nationalism, globalism. They've been using us in every area of society to try and manipulate everybody else to come underneath this kind of one world umbrella. And it's been amazing. And so I'm not surprised that. We see this thing happening with black culture and black people. What I am surprised about is that we are taking the bait. We have taken the bait and we know better. We've forgotten who we were and what we did and where we've come from. 
that we used to say, hey, remember how they treated us as human beings? We, why would we treat another human being with that sort of disrespect? This is how old white racist culture would treat us. Why would we take the bait and start treating each other the way they would treat us where they could just gun us down in the street? I've found that I have to treat my brothers, my black brothers, the way that they've tried to tell me that I need to treat police. I am far more patient with them, far more gracious, because I know that there is a temper that goes off. And if I'm not working with them, de-escalating the situation, then we're going to have a situation where one of us might not walk out of there. And so I've found that I have to give way more grace, way more kindness, spend way more time de-escalating the situation because somebody hasn't taught this dude how to de-escalate the situation, how to talk to another human being, how to understand the value of somebody else made in the image of God. And because of that, we are going to have to spend more time in every interaction engaging each other with that type of patience. Dave, you unpacked a mouthful, and I want to go back to the foundational point you made, that, that some people may be lost. And like, how is this connected? How can black-on-black violence be connected to abortion? And, yeah. and, and so I just want to give you an opportunity to expound on that by, and let me start it off by saying, look, everything starts from a foundational point of view. And so it's like, if you see yourself as a healthy person, you're more likely to do healthy things to maintain being a healthy person. And so it's, the abortion issue is foundational in the sense of Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood, the left has basically convinced black people, you know what? You're better off killing that baby because you can't properly raise it. You, you don't have the family structure. You don't have the finances. Uh, your life would be better without a child. And so if that seeps in, becomes a founda foundational point of view, it's like, well, a baby is kind of, you know, it's not God's blessing. It, it, it's not the greatest gift that can be bestowed on you. It's a burden. It's a responsibility. It's something that maybe you're better off doing without. And so if you start with that mindset from the beginning, it eventually just trickles down. And, and when you become an adult, you don't see human life as valuable. And you certainly don't see black human life as valuable. And that's why we tolerate so much black on black violence. That's why we tolerate so much denigration of black people in music. Other groups would never accept the kind of popular mainstream music that is totally, that totally denigrates black people because their foundational mindset is every white child, every Jewish child, every Italian child, every Irish child, every Asian, they have value. And, and I'm just not talking about every one of these groups, every person in that group, but overall, that's what they think. And so that's why they're comfortable drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, you ain't gonna talk to me in music this way. And, and that's why it doesn't happen. Whereas we tolerate it 
and, and we think it's a good thing. And, and so that foundational mindset just leads to the kind of, of disrespect and just lack of respect for life that just keeps spilling out. And, and we keep calling it proximity crime. And it's really a, a, it's really a thought crime that's been put in our head. Jason, I don't even think you left me anything to say. <laughs> no, I, 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 you have to always start with if they can destroy the image of God and get you to think that the image of God is not valuable, then there isn't anything that you will consider to be valuable after that. So you can think of it as you have your goals of what you want to achieve over here. They want to sell you this picture of what you can achieve and what you can have in your life. But the problem is this human being is in the way. This person made in the image of God, this child is in the way. And you know what? It's not really a child. It, it, it's, it doesn't have to be in the way. And there's a thing that you can do before it's born that you can get rid of it. And it's not even going to be a problem. And they get you to sacrifice this human being on the altar of your dream. And if you're willing to take a human being and put them on the altar and to sacrifice them so that you can achieve what makes you feel good, that makes you the God of the universe, that gets you what you want, and you're willing to sacrifice your own children, who else or what else won't you sacrifice to continue getting what you want? There is no end to that because you've already said the image of God has no value in me achieving my ultimate goal. And if God and what his standards are and what his world word says to do and my love for a child gets in the way of my goal, then I'm going to sacrifice that to achieve the ultimate thing that makes me happy, my goal. And man, anybody who gets in the way of that, you can take 17 of these bullets. I will get whatever it is that I want. If you disrespect me while I'm on the way to my goal. See, once you get rid of the image of God out of the situation, then you can put your own image in that place and you become God. And then you can do whatever you want to do to whomever you want to do and feel justified doing it. I, I think, Dave, all of this, and, and I don't want to unload too much in this conversation, it's been in a different direction, but it, it's, I complain constantly about the secularization of American society. And being secular is just, you know, you're anti-religious, you don't believe in God, it, it, it's, it's a godless society. And, and I hear so many people they, they've created this thing, this term the left has, corporate media has, uh, Christian nationalism. And they've created this term and, and they, oh my God, it's, it's like if you're called a Christian nationalist, you know, it's the worst thing. And it's just a created term that, that they've made up. And, and it's, it, they take what people of faith are saying they distort it, take it out of context. Someone may speak imprecisely about why they think that American culture needs to lean back into its Christian values. And, and then the left pounces and says, oh, that's Christian nationalism. And, and, and really, all that people are talking about foundationally is what you're talking about. We have to go back to setting up a society that and it did. everybody doesn't have to believe this, but the society needs to be built around this universal truth that we're all made in the image of God. And again, 
That doesn't mean everybody in the society has to believe in God. They don't have to adopt my views. But a society that reflects that value of that we're all image bearers of God, our rights come from a higher power than man and government, you can now build a society that benefits everyone, even non-believers, even people of a different religious deal. It's, it's, but a, a society that's founded on those principles works for everybody, and a society built on secular principles works just the way it is working. None of our lives have the kind of value that we're, it's supposed to have. Uh, it's why we keep seeing videos pop up of young kids. I think of the guy in Pennsylvania that was beaten in the streets in Philadelphia, beaten in the streets by a group of 10 to 14 year old kids. I just saw a video of a young dude beating a 70 year old uh, man. And, and this is, I think was in LA, beating Rob, some 70 year old senior citizen, another citizen following him out and chased him down. But this is a byproduct of a secular worldview. And, and, and I can't blame people for wanting and for wanting us to return to some type of biblical worldview because it actually works best for everyone. As it is intended to do. You know, Jason, I have a, a thing about um, Christian nationalism. I think the left has made it up because it's a bait. This is what they do with everything. They're baiting white men because what they want to really say is white Christian nationalism. And they are saying that. And I, I think white men have to be particularly careful and Christians have to be particularly careful not to take the bait, not because I don't believe in the worldview of what's being said. It's because they want to put out a particular bait that they can define and control, because that's what the left does with words, definitions. That's why there's a fight over pronouns right now. You must call me this. You are this, because they set the, the bait, they set the words, and they define it. And then once they get you into that category, then you have to take in all that they feed that term with. And right now, white men are being told that they're horrible, that they are worse than scum, that they're racist, and that they're sexist, and that they have all this testosterone, and it's bad. And then they give this term out, and they say, Embrace that term. And they're like, well, then I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to be the baddest white Christian nationalist that exists. And they've taken the bait. And I think that they need to do something else. They need to promote the worldview completely different. I think that the universe belongs to Jesus Christ. The world belongs to Jesus Christ. They need to reject, in one sense, the term Christian nationalism and take on something much bigger because Christian nationalism is too small. If the universe belongs to Jesus, how about Christian intergalacticism? That's the term I want them to take on <laughs> because the sun belongs to Jesus. The moon belongs to Jesus. The stars belong to Jesus, the dirt, the earth, the air. They need to take the vision and push it bigger. The, the, the left just wants to give them this little small container to live in and be like, nah, bro, this is Christian intergalacticism. And that's what I am. I'm a Christian intergalacticus, you know? And so <laughs> that's the term we need to take on. And when we take that on, then when we talk about the universe and the world, we can talk about how it's ordered. 
if the world belongs to Jesus, he's given us a standard. He's given us laws that don't only govern the cosmos so that the sun and the moon and the earth work and go in rotation. It also flows all the way out to humanity so that when man function the way that Christ has said, just like the, the, the galaxy it works properly, so does the world, so do man, so does everything else when in our interactions with each other, so that we're patient with each other, we're kind with each other, because we follow the God of the universe. Dave, I cannot top that, and I'm not going to try. I love Christian intergalacticism. <laughs> intergalacticism, <laughs> <think> yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, we're going to patent that. That's a Dave uh, Shannon uh, creation. Thank you, Dave, so much. Appreciate it. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Steve Kim. All right, welcome back. Uh, the Korean Cosell, Steve Kim, is who alerted me yesterday uh, to the Mike Hickman story. Uh, Steve, welcome back to the show. Uh, I, I, we need to be a bit careful here because I want to talk with you about Aqib Tlaib, and it's his brother who is the alleged uh, trigger man, not Aqib. However, uh, th there are some people suggesting that uh, Aqib was involved in the altercation, and it seemed, I think Aqib's lawyer has acknowledged he was there. Uh, there are people uh, suggesting that Aqib and his brother have a reputation for being boisterous and aggressive at these youth football games in the Dallas area. Uh, and then when you look at Akeeb's uh, background and propensity to be involved, I talked about a lot of that in, in my fire starter. If there was going to be a former football player, high profile football player, five time Pro Bowl or Super Bowl champion, was on some very good uh, Patriots teams, I think won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. If there was going to be a former player involved in any way in an incident like this, I think Aqib Tlaib would be on a short list of candidates. Yeah, I mean, Jason, I don't want to cast aspersions, and obviously we're not there. You have to let a due process play out and let the witnesses and all the legal authorities uh, really sort this out. But I, I think we'd be dishonest if we were to be asked, guys, are you surprised that Aqib Tlaib and his brother were involved in an incident of this manner? Based on the background of what we know about Tlaib, the answer would have to be no. Uh, because there's a long history. Sometimes your track record will tell you all you know about your present and your future. But I, I also think there's something bigger uh, in play here is that youth sports has become an absolute cesspool for adult behavior that, quite frankly, is not very adult. Now, Jason, you've seen the videos online. This is happening more and more at AAU basketball games, not even between the two teams. But now we're seeing officials and referees being assaulted. 
And back when I was growing up, when I was playing, I was just a very mediocre little league Bronco League baseball player. You were taught to not even to talk to the referees or the officials. You shut up and you played. You shook hands and you walked away. Nowadays, I really – it's getting to a point where I wonder if anyone at that level will volunteer their time, no matter how much money they make, to be a referee, an umpire, or an official for any of these events – Based on the things that I've been seeing the last couple of years, uh, I, I think it's a very, very disturbing trend. Look, not everything uh, has this type of violent conclusion, but really, if you are a volunteer, Jason, and you're just trying to do this for the kids and earn a few bucks, there has to be better ways. Steve, how much of this do we blame on the fact that there's been so much money poured into sports and getting a college scholarship can potentially make you a, a, a millionaire or certainly make a lot more money than your family ever had through this name, image, and likeness stuff. Then there's, oh my God, if you make it to the pros, you can make you know generational wealth as a professional athlete. I, I just think all the money to, uh, poured into sports is going to bring out this kind of desperation parents now look at their kids who have any athletic ability and see them as potential lottery tickets. Jason, as someone who's covered boxing for more than 25 years now, I see this a lot in terms of fathers who basically look at their young kids, mostly males, as walking ATMs. Uh, They train them from the very beginning, and once they turn pro, they quit their own job. So no matter what they did, whether it's a plumber, accountant, dig ditcher, construction worker, they start to make their son the breadwinner. And yeah, you're absolutely right. If you read the stories about what happens, many of these kids who are from a single parent home, these kids are now looked upon as not necessarily the leaders of the household, but at the very least counted on to get their education paid for after high school, and then perhaps make the league without understanding that the odds are incredibly low. I've read before, and I don't know if the numbers have changed, but the number of high school athletes in football that actually goes to Division I is less than 25 to 3%. Then from that number, the guys that actually play college football that actually stick in a league that make the National Football League roster is about 2%. And that's in a career, Jason, where the average career is about 3.8 years. That, that's not a long-term plan. And I, I have felt for a while that there has been this, um, really this overemphasis on sports. I mean, I hear of kids, and it used to be really prevalent in basketball, but it's happening in football now, where these kids by the 11th grade have already gone to four different schools because they're not starting enough, they don't like the system, they don't like the coach, they don't want to work it out, they're not going to win enough. And I'm thinking to myself, what happened? I know it's a quaint notion, Jason, but I'm old school and I'm an old guy. What happened to just going to school to actually get an education? There's an incredible amount of pressure on these young kids that begins not in high school, not even in middle school, really from the time that they lace up their first pair of cleats. And I want to go back to this, to the the man that was slain yesterday. That's an incredibly tragic story. Because let's be honest, and I'm not, I don't want to be uh, accused of being stereotypical, but we know a lot of these kids do not have fathers. They come from one parent homes, and men like this are counted upon, whether it's fair or not, to be a male 
authority figure in their lives to give them some proper guidance. They don't get paid a lot of money. It's not particularly glamorous. And now not only do you have to deal with parents that are overbearing and overstep their lines, you're really telling me now they're putting their lives at stake in the most extreme cases. Something about that is very, very diluted. Steve, just and, and it's maybe it's a tad tone deaf to talk about, but I, I just think we got to talk about it. Do you think Amazon and Fox Sports can continue to use Aqib Tlaib as a broadcaster? Boy, that's a tough question. I mean, here's here's the question that I would have for Aqib. Could you have done more to prevent what happened? Because my assumption is, is if your brother is a volatile enough individual to basically shoot at someone at a youth football game, it's not even a real game. It's basically a camp setting. I mean, it's a game, but it's not a game game. Uh, could you have done more to prevent this? Because my sense is maybe you were the only person that could have prevented that by basically holding him back. The other question is, and again, I would have to be there. You'd have to talk to the parents and the participants of what happened in that particular league. Are you a part of the problem in terms of your behavior and your persona and the way you act? And did you become a part of the problem specifically <coughs> yesterday in not only letting that fester, but letting that thing really grow out of hand to the point that it did? I, I'm absolutely stunned. I look at some of the footage and I'm like, look, I get it. Parents get angry. They get very, very heated. They're incredibly passionate, even more so than their sons. But the thought of actually someone pulling out a firearm and then pulling that trigger is something beyond, beyond comprehension. So, yeah, that question that you go back to, should Fox and Amazon reevaluate their relationship with Aqib Talib? I believe in their own best interest, they have to do their due diligence and see what role did he play before making a decision. All right, let me ask it a different way, and I'm, I'm not going to duck the question. Eventually, I'm going to answer myself. Should he have been hired by Fox Sports in the first place, just given his criminal history and the problems he had had throughout his career? You know, his reputation was stamped as you know, a, a, a tough egg, a, a bad guy, you know, long, look, I, I, I had a friend that covered the University of Kansas, and this goes all the way back to the guy's days at Kansas. His reputation just was not strong. He was a troublemaker. Uh, you know, I, I listened to a story yesterday about uh, they, in a bowl game, I think maybe the Peach Bowl, or, or they played in some bowl game, and he was right in the middle of a fight uh, <clears throat> with the opposing team at some, you know, pregame or, you know, days before the bowl game event. He's right in the middle of a fight between that team. And then you go to the NFL rookie symposium. He's, he's got issues, uh, shot himself or got, no, I'm sorry, got shot uh, outside of a strip club, has been accused of shooting guns. Uh, incident with a taxi cab driver. Should, should Fox Sports have all the people that play in the NFL, Aqib Tlaib with his rap sheet, 
that's who Fox Sports hires to broadcast NFL games? Should they have done that? It's a great question. About that NFL symposium, I just wonder now about today's NFL symposiums. Do they actually bring up Aqib Talib and what happened? <laughs> that's, that's a question I've asked for a few years. Here's the issue. Um, should his past have been held against him? You know, we can't be hypocritical about this. One of our favorite guys is Michael Jerome Irvin. Michael Irvin had a very checkered past, uh, whether it was in Dallas, the White House, his drug use. And look what he has done. He has really rehabilitated his own career and image, and he has blossomed in that role as a television personality. What I always found interesting about Aqib Talib is uh, I never thought he was that media-friendly of a guy when he played. I knew he was a colorful character. He was a bit of a renegade. Um, when I hear him on interviews and I've seen some of his broadcasting stuff, it's a very, very unique style. It's not necessarily polished. It's not the traditional color analyst, but I actually enjoy it. Now, I don't know if it actually works in a game setting. I think it's much better as a podcast, having discussions with some of his luminaries, talking about the sport very freely. But I think it's much different when you're actually in a game setting and you have to hit your cues. And you have to talk in small sound bites and be concise and really be a great communicator with that said i wonder jason i asked this of you do you think fox hired him because they want to be looked upon as hey we keep it real look at us we have no boundaries and that it's all part of this movement I, really diversify everything in the world so let me unpack this a little bit in terms michael irvin is one of my favorite human beings in professional sports ray lewis might mm. be my favorite human being yeah. in, in professional sport. Michael Vick, one of my favorite guys uh, in professional sports. And so Michael Irvin is, you know, with the NFL Network. He used to be at ESPN. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I work with Ray Lewis at Fox Sports. Obviously, I work with Michael Vick at Fox Sports. And again, we know the incident with Ray Lewis in Atlanta. We know the dogfighting deal with Michael Vick. We know that uh, Michael Irvin loved the, the sugar booger or the booger sugar <laughs> or whatever it is, whatever it's called, and, and women. Uh, I, I, where I'm going to put these guys in a different category, particularly as it relates to Michael Irvin and Ray Lewis, uh, and, and I would even say Michael Vick, I, I, I never met anyone that thought these guys were bad guys. Mm. Michael Irvin liked drugs, liked to party, liked women. And, and, but just like a mean person, a dangerous person, someone that wants to harm people, never heard anyone say that about Michael Irvin, has never struck me that way. Ray Lewis, greatest yeah. defensive player, perhaps of the last 20, 30 years, uh, never, was to me had the reputation of a bad guy and I know you know Ray didn't uh, snitch or uh, snitch is the wrong word didn't maybe didn't immediately come clean with everything yeah. he thought cooperate with the police on, on an incident but again knowing Ray Lewis knowing and I'm sorry this is my own bias Ray Lewis loves Jesus Christ he's a Christian that always means something to me. Michael Irvin, same thing, always means something to me. Michael Vick, the way he's handled himself after getting out of jail for the dogfighting deal, 
awesome human being, humble, his head presents himself in a very, in a way that he's not a threat. That has not been Aqib Tlaib. Yeah. I've talked with people that uh, played with him in the professional ranks. I've talked to people that covered him in the college ranks. Aqib Tlaib loved to present himself as a bad guy who's from the street, and if you cross him in a certain way, he's about that life. That's the way he's presented himself. And that's, and so I, I think Fox Sports made a mistake. Uh, I think that this whole culture has made a mistake of embracing the guys who have built reputations around being bad guys, around being uh, uh, borderline criminals, gang members, gang associated, whatever. I mean, just look at the, all the smoke and how it's celebrated what, what's Matt Barnes is known for being a tough guy who got in a bunch of fights and tried to beat up Derek Fisher. That, that's his reputation. And no one's going, oh, Matt Barnes hit this shot or that shot, or he was this critical member of a championship team, blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately for Steven Jackson, his off-field uh, behavior overshadowed the fact that he was a hell of a basketball player and was a part of of some big games and a championship team, I think with San Antonio, uh, that's all overshadowed by the malice in the palace, being the tough guy there, incident at a strip club in Indianapolis where he pulled out a gun. And but this seems to be who corporate media is embracing. Again, yeah. it's like everybody for black athletes, you got to be. Hey, could you star in a gangster rap video if you can? <laughs> then we can put you on TV. That seems to be the standard. And, and it, it, it's like all these guys, like the white guys got to have squeaky clean backgrounds and the black guys got to have domestic violence problems or other law enforcement problems. Then we can give you a job. And this is across the board. It's not just Fox Sports. I, I see it. I see it everywhere. Jason. You just described the music industry then about the black and white and the expectation of personalities and persona. And, I, you know, you got me thinking about this. You're right. It's one thing to make mistakes, but your willingness to make amends and your willingness to be rehabilitated as a person, I think, matters. Because you're right. I don't want an incident from a young man at age 20 to hold him back after a really nice career at age 35 to be prevented from the next chapter of his life. There's something about that that's very unfair. But you're right. Uh, time and time again, Aqib Tlaib is the very essence of that old skit when keeping it real goes wrong. He kept going wrong. So here's my amended answer based upon that excellent evidence and that dissertation you gave. Okay, I give you credit. If it is found that Aqib Tlaib was precipitating what took place and threw gasoline on that fire, again, and I'm not Fox and I'm not these other networks, then I would cut ties with them. Bottom line. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be rough to eat regardless of what they reveal because when people think of Aqib Tlaib now, they're going to think about the murder of Mike Hickman. And, mm. and that's a tough thing to overcome. Hey, I'm just tuning in, listen to a broadcast of the game, but here's the guy 
whose brother uh, participated in the murder and Aqib was there. And, and we'll, we'll, again, we'll find out, I guess, over the course of time what role Aqib uh, played. There are a lot of people speculating that, you know, uh, he played some role. We'll find out whether it was a positive or a negative role. Uh, we'll find out shortly, you would think. Although, again, who knows? The way things get covered up, and yeah. if you're part of uh, a protected group or space, or maybe it'll enhance his reputation. Is it, you know, Ugh. Snoop Dogg got accused of murder, and, and it enhanced his reputation. Ugh. All these, uh, every rapper, uh, you know, wants to go to jail or be accused of something, and it was Bobby Schmurder or whatever he did, uh, Meek Mill. The, the, you know, going to jail and getting in trouble seems to enhance your reputation in this time and era, and so maybe that's what will happen with Aqib Tlaib. Uh, we'll have to stay tuned for that. Uh, Steve, great job. Uh, thank you. Uh, love that you got the Fearless Army swag. Mike Hickman, I, I want to make a little final comment myself before we get out of here. My Mike Hickman, 43 years old, member of his church, active member of his church, uh, former player in North Texas, uh, married, three kids, um, sister, sister, Jennifer Hickman, also murdered a year ago in the Dallas area by her ex-boyfriend. And, and we got to snap out of this thing of, hey, oh, they weren't killed by white people? They weren't killed in a dispute uh, with uh, white law enforcement? Nothing to see here. H how can that woman was, went to college on a basketball scholarship, played basketball at Texas Southern University. That man, her brother, went to North Texas on a football scholarship. They both come back basically to their hometowns and start making an impact in the Dallas area. They grew up in Oak Cliff in the Dallas area. They come back and start making a difference in that area with young people. Murdered. And no one's going to talk about it. No one's going to shout their names. They're not going to be deified. We're not going to try to address the issues that took their lives. This mentality that black lives don't matter. Because if they did, they'd matter from the womb to the tomb. But again, black lives don't matter. That's the real message of the Black Lives Matter movement. That the only lives that matter are the black men killed by white people, white police officers. Those rare instances, very rare instances, when that happens, that's when the life matters. We'll step over 1,000 dead bodies. We'll step over 10,000 dead black bodies killed by other black people to find the one resisting criminal suspect killed by, allegedly killed by a, a white police officer and fentanyl. We'll DFI build monuments, change national holidays for that person and say nothing about Mike Hickman. You won't hear LeBron James tweeting about Mike Hickman. You won't hear any of these celebrities tweeting about Mike Hickman. There won't be a Mike Hickman hashtag. Maybe someone will pour out some liquor for him, but that'll be as good as it gets.
right. We'll see you tomorrow. I just